In crisis times, God's priorities do not change. Like the separatist pilgrims who fled religious persecution in their homelands to courageously face an untamed wilderness 400 years ago, right now, we are facing a challenge of giant proportions. Can we dare to proclaim, thank you, almighty God, for your abundant mercy and your grace to lead us on? This is Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. When I ask the Lord, in view of our historic atmosphere of national and global anxiety and fear, how then shall your people pray and think and act? He led me immediately and serendipitously to a historic event in the leadership of his people. I believe he wants to talk with us about that today. Now let's set the stage a bit. There's no way that anyone can convince you that we're not living in what is probably the most universal time of chaos, uncertainty, deception, and tragically painful human suffering since God's interruption at the Tower of Babel over 4,000 years ago. Even in our affluent North American experience of relative freedom, which is another world to billions of the human family, we see all around us devastating struggle between good and evil. We're at war for the future of our children. Many Christians are saying in their feelings of desperation, certainly the coming of the Lord must be near. The conflict of the ages between the devil's kingdom of darkness and God's kingdom of light have been drawn into sharper contrast than perhaps any time in our lives. Despite the dismal failure of our generation's Christian leaders to teach us to disciple our own nation and amplify the knowledge and authority of God's holy word in our current society, God is working behind the scenes. It appears that he's using the multifaceted crisis whirling around us to inspire his true disciples to seek the face of God more fervently than ever. This is good. Have you ever caught yourself tolerating an annoying irritation for many moons sometimes before finally stopping to take the time to fix the problem? Of course, the classic example is tolerating a small pebble in your shoe while you limp along for many steps before finally removing it. The Holy Spirit is particularly good at reinforcing to us God's eternal principles that are relevant to our immediate situations when we take the time to prioritize personal intimacy alone with God and His Word. As you look into His Word for guidance, correction, and instruction in how to lead a life of living in right standing with your Creator Savior, meditate on the plain meaning of the words you read and hear yourself say those words out loud. Romans chapter 16, verse 19 and 20 says, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Before we look at some of the specifics about the things that are causing the epidemic of fear and confusion in our world, why not pray to God right now a prayer that you know is divinely perfect? And while asking God for the supplications of your prayer, and declaring the confessions of your prayer, let him adjust your thinking and your feelings to bring them into harmony with the way that you can absolutely know is God's perfect will. I'm drawn to Psalm 31, beginning at verse 14, going right through verse 24. It starts out, O Lord, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. 
And I want to stop right there and encourage you to even say that, think that, and pray it from your own heart as all of us together share the challenges that are all around us. Again, Psalm 31, 14, O Lord, you're my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol, or the nether world. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. By the way, I'm drawn to the fact that God wants to show us his salvation, his safety, his protection, and all of his providence when we actually take refuge in him before the sons of men. In other words, in front of the people in our own communities, openly, boldly, courageously. Going on in verse 20, prayer in Psalms says, You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter or pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. And then our prayer ends with an admonition there in Psalm 31. An invitation, really, that it gives us a model of what to declare to others around us as we walk our path with the Lord. Verse 23 says, O love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope or wait for the Lord. God is just, and he expects us to pray according to his word. His word gives us a perfect pattern of how to pray. And yes, you need to pray that God would cut off from before your eyes those who would be alarmed, those who would be hiding from God's justice. And Lord, we ask you to intervene with your justice. How many times have we heard our mothers and others who love us, like Jesus himself, warn us not to listen to those subtle voices that try to tempt us to sin morally or even sin by giving in to fear rather than staying on target with God's voice of peace and wisdom. And fear is a sin. We need to face that. Let's stay on target with God's voice. It's always a voice of peace and of wisdom. Let's be honest. We can't stop our ears from occasionally hearing the loud noises of evil in our world. But we can choose whether or not we will continue to voluntarily turn on those channels of destruction. Why not ask God for his help to courageously stand firm against the emotionally persuasive wiles of the devil? If we're truly owned by Christ as his bondservants, we're supposed to not let Satan take advantage of us, nor be unaware of his devices or schemes. So just decide now to stop listening to evil reports from those who have proven to be enemies of God. Yes, you will be a peculiar people. You'll be thought by the carnal ones as being strange. So what? Get over it. What is being proclaimed in your real home, your eternal home? Do you suppose that that is why Jesus said, I only do and speak what I hear my father say? 
Is he helping us take this walk of serving him more seriously than before? If we're willing, do you just suppose he's able to keep you steady on that path? I asked the Lord, what's true and critically important for us to know about our chaotic times that make us feel so uncertain and troubled? I listed a few of them, and you might have a similar list. Certainly, we need to know about the instability of human governments. We need to know more detail about the plague that surrounds us so that we can knowledgeably and understandably respond to what's going on. We need to know about the choices that we each have for our health and safety. We need to know the plans that God expects us to participate in for the world that he has redeemed. And then we need to write down and think about the priorities for the community of God's chosen followers with whom he has assigned us to dwell. We need to know about the confidence with which we must pray in praying according to God's will. I want to read to you the prayer that the Lord opened serendipitously for me as I began to write down these comments. It's from the man whom God's word declares was given greater wisdom than any natural man who has ever lived. Solomon. And he uttered this prayer at the dawn of Israel's golden age, at the dedication of the place where God chose to make his earthly home in the very heart of his world, the temple in Jerusalem. It had taken seven years to construct that temple. And this is what Solomon prayed. He prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, If your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow my law as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O Lord, God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David. But will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. I want to pause right there. Think about that. God, will you really live on earth among people? Of course, Solomon couldn't immediately see it, but we realize that God, through Jesus and his Holy Spirit, actually is living right now within us. Solomon went on in his prayer and said, Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. Do you think that God is hearing your prayer? I mean, really. Even Solomon was asking God, beseeching him to hear his prayer going on. He said, may you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live and where you hear forgive. Now we understand that the place that he was focusing on was the temple. Now it's the place that God is actually right near here in our presence. He's among us. Listen to what Solomon prayed as he went on and described some things just very much like what we see going on in the world around us and see if it doesn't 
resonate with your own heart as, a, as an adequate and appropriate prayer for us, even right now in some ways. He said, If someone wrongs another person and is required to take an oath of innocence in front of your altar at this temple, then hear from heaven and judge between your servants, the accuser and the accused. Pay back the guilty as they deserve. Acquit the innocent because of their innocence. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn back and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and return them to this land you gave to them and to their ancestors. Doesn't it seem that that would be an appropriate prayer? Of course, taking in context that we live in a different environment today, but God would be merciful to his people when we would repent and ask him to return us to the land of our ancestors? In other words, the land that our ancestors have spent these last hundreds of years building and developing, even though they've gone astray many times? Listen to what the prayer goes on to say. If the skies are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that you have given to your people as their special possession. Now again, can we justly and in faith ask God to do similarly for us today as he, through Solomon's prayer, was imploring God to actually do for the nation of Israel? As God's own people, I mean, we're grafted into Israel and we can certainly appropriate God's grace and his mercy, can we not? He goes on and says, if there's a famine in the land or a plague or a crop disease or attacks or locusts or caterpillars or if your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles or sorrow raising their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Give your people what their actions deserve for you alone know each human heart. Then they will Fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live in the land you gave to our ancestors. Now stop right there. When you look at that prayer and pray it from your own fervency, doesn't it make complete sense that God in his biblical, honest mercy and consistency, doesn't it stand to reason that he will answer our prayer? And when you see millions of people across our land praying fervently calling out to God for his mercy. Yes, we don't deserve it. Yes, we've gone astray as a culture, but certainly there are more people in our nation than the 10 that Abraham actually prayed to God and said, if there's just 10 people in Sodom who are still righteous, will you preserve Sodom? And God said he would. 
Listen to what the prayer goes on to say as Solomon prayed. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people, Israel, will hear of you. They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people, Israel, do. Can we pray that, that God would use our nation once again to be a beacon of light to the world? Why not? Can God give us the faith to do that? I believe he is. And then it goes on. And in that prayer, Solomon said, If they sin against you, and who has never sinned? You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land. But in that exile, that land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul, then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Can we not pray that? that God would have that same mercy and forgiveness for his people, even now? And then it says, verse 41, And now, Lord, arise, O Lord God, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. I look at that closing part of Solomon's prayer and I can't help but see that God is saying to us, may your priests, we are a kingdom of priests, you know. May your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. May we make it a constant, dedicated confession of our lips to rejoice in God's goodness. And at this time of thanksgiving, how can we not be thankful to God and express that openly and say to anybody, even on the street, who we don't even know if they know God, God is so good. At this season, when our attention is drawn to the 400-year American tradition of giving thanks for God's providential orchestration of our nation's millions of families, we must remind ourselves that God is rich in mercy. 1 Peter 2.10 says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are at a historic moment in our republic. And many people are about to understand increasingly that this present battle between honesty and treachery is a nationwide assault on the integrity of our system. The thoroughly corrupted corporate media maggots are doing all they can to ignore the crisis in our election system, but the crisis is speaking very loudly to citizens. The more important reality is the increasingly obvious nature of the conflict between good and evil. Our country has been gripped by apathetic disinvolvement that has produced our current surreal dystopian crisis, the source or cause of which they simply don't understand. As conservative news reporter Lou Dobbs asserted so well, we have a fierce demand in the leftist establishment for conformity and silence. If that is not resisted, we lose the republic.
Thanksgiving today gives us an opportunity to thank God for what is happening now. By God's mercy, he is giving us all a wake-up call without which we would continue to sleep. When people on the left sneer at us, it tells you some things. They're less than polite. They think they're superior to us. The first test for any American is, do you believe every citizen of America has equal rights and is deserving of equal respect? The answer is absolutely, because that concept is enshrined in the Constitution, and that Constitution is God-sent, make no mistake about it. It's that straightforward, and why we must fight this fight with every ounce of energy and courage we can muster. It's a fight we can't afford to lose. And as we know, as sinners, we don't deserve to win, but that isn't the reason we win. We've been a nation of nations for others, and that's what has made the United States of America great. We must first look to ourselves. We've lost almost 70 million babies to abortion since Roe v. Wade. We're a nation who talks about the family, but we don't always support the family, whether Republican or Democrat. We must be a nation who asks, do I mean what I'm saying, and will I stand up for what I mean? And this is the time to do so. Remember that Joshua's conquering army 3,500 years ago was commissioned by God to destroy the exceedingly wicked occupants of God's promised land to Abraham. God would accomplish the victory, but the heirs of the promised land had to valiantly fight for every inch of it with their wholehearted personal commitment. Witnessing is work. Disciple-making is even tougher. But in order for a free people to have a just society to do the work of discipling the nation, now that's risky business. And it's downright warfare, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and even physically. We must throw off the deceptions of our misguided traditions and alliances with ungodly institutions that embrace secular humanism, the number one idolatry in our nation that has displaced wholehearted commitment to our one true God. And that's why it says in Romans 16, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The Holy Spirit is breaking through fears and doubts as we meditate on his word and truly take it to heart. But we need to take action, do our part. Parents need to be the primary influence in their children's training and discovery of what's true. Listening to the corrupt media's evil reports and constant assault on divine truth and morality has no place in the life of any follower of Christ. There are many good news sources if you care to be informed and encouraged. Start with people like Jay Sekulow of the ACLJ and Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. You can see them on YouTube and their websites. Get more links on our website, reclaimyourlegacy.com. And if you know someone who you think might be encouraged by hearing or reading this program, copy the link for today's program at reclaimyourlegacy.com. And if the Lord impresses you to help keep us proclaiming the truth of our hope in God, your online financial donation of thanksgiving is sincerely needed and will be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for being with me. This is Dennis Peterson. I look forward to being with you next time on Reclaiming Your Legacy.